What's going on, everybody? And uh, welcome back to the channel. Um, today, I'm excited to have Stephen Merchant, I mean, David Rag, on with me today. Uh, we're never going to let that go, Dave. Right. So uh, just just get used to it at this point. But Dave, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm still like uh, lit up like a sort of a, a zombie on Valentine's Day. But um, I assure you, this is mostly my own ghastly pallor. I might, I might fix my lighting someday, but apparently not today. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome aboard. <laughs> You're just you're just a high contrast type of guy. I am. I am. It's all yeah. It's highs and lows and and desaturation. <laughs> just ready. I'm I'm ready for like just the deep hue of yellow to hit you any any minute now with your, with your night mode. I'm gonna hit like eight oh three and that'll be it. <laughs> so uh, so we were talking a little bit off camera. So yeah. So this morning uh, I watched the first episode of Loki uh, and it was phenomenal as you could probably imagine. Uh, and you and you were saying that uh, you were compared to Tom Hiddleston at one point? Yes, once. Once. So, you know, in terms of favorable celebrity comparisons, uh, I have once had somebody compare me to Tom Hiddleston. And that was when the night manager was on TV. He, he came up to me, worked together for a week, and he said, you know, you remind me of, you know, the night manager, Tom Hiddleston. And I just, you know, that was made up. I was wearing a suit at the time. I think that helped. And, you know, I'd had a haircut. But I do have that. So, well, he's tall and uh, pretty upper class, and I'm tall and not very upper class, but I am still English, which goes a long way to tricking people into thinking I'm more cultured than I really am. And that's that's half the battle, ultimately. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, I don't sound very high class being Southern, so it's uh, it's really difficult to you yeah. know, even sound like I'm middle class. So. Oh, you just you have you have to wear a monocle and go around like twirling your cane for people to understand your proper social standing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's good time. <laughs> things things were a lot easier in the Middle Ages, weren't they? When you could tell that that is a peasant over there because you know he's being beaten by the guy on the horse, and yeah. uh, peasants don't have horses, so it's right. just very easy. You work it out. None get of the long, you know, right. get the long hotels and you know, <laughs> get a pocket watch. Oh, that guy, that guy's going yeah. somewhere, or, or you're just walking around in a potato sack. So yeah, you know, it's yeah. I mean, there is, of course, a whole sinister corollary to this in terms of how easy it is to con people by affecting all the various mannerisms, the modes of dress, the modes of speech of a certain social class, and how that can then convince people that they're dealing with someone who intrinsically they believe to be their better and i hate to draw parallels to modern politics but you just need to look at the state certainly of british politics westminster all the rest of it to see essentially a load of kind of very posh and quite stupid people who are still somehow in charge because fundamentally a large member a large subsection of the population think they must be better like they have to be better right they have to be look at them you know they're all posh and they they wear these fancy suits and they use words like soliloquy and nobody uses them, those words well exactly <laughs> one of them is is like a victorian cosplayer of we well, yeah, was it the jacob reese mog who's described as looking like a haunted pencil um <laughs> these people are absurd but they maintain this degree of sort of of entitled confidence which goes a long way towards making people assume they know what they're doing when the reality is of course they don't and you only need to look at their record to see that they don't and that is something that i like to use in my fiction as well oh, yeah look at that oh, I, like, I like that segue yeah and see that guy straight out of left field and see, that's, you a, that's a baseball you term. froze you froze you froze in the middle of your segue damnation 
I'll do it again. Who thought a live broadcast was a good idea? That said, we've not had any animals or children attempt to bust in, so we've, we've managed six minutes. I'm calling that a win. I mean, you couldn't have timed that any more perfectly. I mean, besides besides the potential of turning completely yellow, your segue freeze was amazing. What can I say? I some, some of us are born great. Others have greatness thrust upon us. Others merely inherit it in the middle of a live stream. It's the best way to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's that's how the quote goes. Something like that, you know, yeah. may, may have, may have gone off, you know, a little, little bit, but um, yeah. So uh, yeah, besides that, yeah, I, I mentioned watching army of the dead and you said that, you know, you've seen very mixed reviews on it. And like I said, I'm about halfway through so far. It's, it's fine. I mean, it's not going to like blow your mind, but you know, it's a zombie heist movie. So it's, you know, day of the dead meets oceans 11, but not like not, it's not as good as that sounds. Yeah, that that's sense. the problem, isn't it? The, the pitch sounds great, and the reality is like, wow, these zombies are terrible at sleight of hand. They're just, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not conning anyone. That guy's left his arm behind. Come on, yeah, you see Danny you know, Ocean and, pulling and, that. And now we're, you know, now we've got like, you know, smart zombies. So it's kind of, it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's kind of like twenty-eight weeks later, a little yeah, bit because they're like but, fast. I, I don't know. It, oh. It's a lot of things, but it's it's a Zack Snyder movie, so you kind of you either like it or you don't. So yeah, well, I hear it's very long as well, which is oh uh, yeah, two almost two and a half hours. I can't have a zombie film as that. No, I don't. I mean, uh, again, this is the like I don't have a lot of patience for films more than two hours. Now I don't get to watch films very much. Something, something, children always around until we finally get rid of them, and then because I'm now middle aged. You have to go to bed at a decent time, or the the rest of the week is ruined. So you're oh, like yeah. your your gap for watching it, and this is even at the weekend. I don't you know I don't get to watch television during the week. <laughs> um, but what's that like? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. So yeah, the weekend. Here we go. It's fine. It's half past eight. We can squeeze a film in and still go to bed at ten o'clock. How many films are ninety minutes long? None of them. <laughs> None of them. No. You're in screwball See, comedies from the eighties is where you end up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I this was several weeks ago. I, uh, I threw up. Uh, was it God, Kong versus Godzilla and Mortal Kombat? I watched both of them in the span of about an hour and a half or two hours because I fast forwarded through all the boring parts. <laughs> and I watched oh, them on yeah. my phone. I'm literally sitting in bed with my iPhone, and I'm just like skipping where they're not oh, fighting my because God. you already know the story. Yeah, and so you're just like, let's just watch them like blow stuff up, and it. Kong versus Godzilla was way better than Mortal Kombat in that oh, sense, but that, like that's not great because I've no. I've seen God Godzilla Kong, which I want to end. All that happened when it ended was like, oh, it's ended. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how those movies go though. Yeah. And it, but it turns out that the director grew up like twenty minutes down the road for me. Oh, so he's another upper-class up governor. Yeah, there you go. And I, and I could have gone to a premiere at the theater in his hometown had I freaking known about it. But yeah, that, that's how the news is around here. So you don't yeah. really know of anything until after it's happened. But then so. it would be a bit embarrassing to go along to like the, the premiere of this, this amazing film he's been working on for so long and just to come out of it going, eh. so, I mean, that, so that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Special effects were quite good, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, 
they're obviously special effects, but at least you couldn't see the joins, I guess. No, well done. Well done. And it, I mean, obviously, it's ridiculous for me to be poking fun at anyone else's creative endeavors because loads of people worked incredibly hard on that film, which is a shame. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't oh, write it and say that's unfair and hypocritical. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, it's all good. yeah anyway, look, I, it's creative endeavors. Look, check this out. Wait for it. You remember this? Uh-huh. Well, now, There's now this. I got this. Yeah, yeah look at I like that. those sprayed edges. These are the special edition goals, but you can see if you put them side by side and the lighting allows. There we go. You can see that the red one is smaller than the blue one, or possibly the blue one is bigger than the red one, uh, which is, and then they cost the same. So there's more value. How does that work? Book. I have no idea. I don't know what goes into pricing them. I assume this is a sort of marketing and, and investment decision that is far beyond my can. Again, there's sort of reasons why I would struggle as a as an indie author. It's like don't understand pricing, don't understand marketing, don't understand publicity, don't really understand writing, to be honest. But having a go and all of that stuff, you're kind of you're, you're on your tod when it comes to doing it uh, as a, as an indie. So. Um, yeah, I just let I let the publisher take care of all I say. I let them like I have any say in it. <laughs> hey, you you go yeah. and do this, <laughs> guys. Guys, I've had some thought. Guys, guys. All right, yeah. Guys, the second book is longer. Charge more. Yeah. <laughs> Charge I, for my I, extra work count. No, so this is this is a value proposition, as we say. This right here. So there you go. Any anyone who is curious about the second book, they should absolutely go out and buy it because uh, you just get more pages, at least. And remember, you, you don't have to read them; you just need to buy them. That's yeah, that's the deal, right? Buy them. That's the only way I get money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how, so how many? What, what's your word? What's your word count between books one and two? Okay, so first one, Black Hawks. Is a little under 120,000, I think. It's got to be in that region. It might have finished up around 117. And the second one, I think, is 160. Wow. Maybe so get, a little less. You get almost 40,000 words for free. Yeah. And I mean, if we. It's, if like, we it's with, like you added a short story. How nice of you. Tell me about it. I mean, that's almost a novella. So <laughs> we went from four, five, four, 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 two, four, four, two, four on that one to five, eight something on this one. Five, eight, five. Oof. Man. I mean, that's a whole. That's a you bunch are so of generous page. to allow people to read more of your words. I am. Well, I, I wanted to be considerably more generous um, because one of the earlier drafts of book two was probably one hundred eighty thousand, one hundred seventy-five thousand. So we had to lose some stuff along the way, uh, which was very sad. But it was at least, you know, when sort of people talk about great scenes and things that were cut for reasons of pacing or reasons of fit one of the things that happened in book two was um because it's a sequel and it's a sort of it's more expansive so all of book one was from the perspective of veteran Chell. you may remember our bumbling affable hapless protagonist who's pretty much useless except when placed next to prince tarful who is the most useless character in the history of of uh, what you might loosely call literature so that's a pleasing you know when sort of when um like people go out and then blokes want to stand next to the ugly mate so they look better. So that's sort of what Chell's doing with Tarful in a way. He would be the most useless person in the story, but he's brought along Tarful, the incredibly incapable sidekick. 
So everything's told from Charles' perspective in book one. In book two, the original draft, I wanted to go out, explore the world, show new locations, show the characters' history, show their own perspective. So I had scenes that were written from other characters, a lot of them simply describing events that took place when Chell wasn't around. And we went back and forth on the edit a few times, but what it boiled down to was we needed to align on a single point of view because they weren't proper point of view characters. You know, these characters you've met who've all been sort of secondary or in the background or just in scenes where Chell's been there. I like to take the, the idea that it's a sort of vaguely cinematic approach, but it, it's not the same in writing. Like you have a point of view character or you don't. In this case, it was a bit jarring when you suddenly, for example, had a scene from Rennick's point of view or even from Lemon's. And even if that scene was only three pages long, just filling you in on something that was happening, otherwise kind of off page, off camera. It was a stylistic difference, which would seem you know sort of out of kilter. Mm. So the upshot was we got rid of them all. <laughs> and <laughs> That brought the word count down by an awful lot. And it's a shame because there were some really cool things that happened when Shell wasn't around. And uh, now, as you'll find when you read the book, he'll say things like, so what happened back there? And another character will go, oh, yeah, it was brilliant, awesome, amazing. Never mind. It's in the past now. Let's not dwell. Moving on. Um, so, you, you know, you're covering what was previously like two and a half chapters of stuff in two lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. So... I am. I'm planning. Maybe I'll put some stuff up on the website in a few weeks once people have actually had a chance to read the book, and uh, you can see perhaps a scene from Lemon's perspective or from Foss's or something like that. From you know, here's what you missed, kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, you know, again, in the in the tradition of all deleted scenes, they're taken out for a reason. The book is a stronger read for it, and I think um, yeah, if people are curious, they can go digging for it. But otherwise, it'll stand up on its own. He yeah, said so. confidently. <laughs> yeah, Confident. you know, I, I always, you know, people always go, oh, are you going to write more in this world? Are you, gonna, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think that would be something really cool, you know, whether you added it to your website or you put it out as, you know, some kind of like little, I don't know if you want to call it a sampler or something, but yeah. just some kind of like small little ebook that people could buy and, and, you know, get extra perspectives or whatever if they really want to learn more about those characters. Because, I mean, especially like Lemon, I would love to learn more about Lemon. Uh, because Lemon's awesome. And, well, you, uh, you get a lot more of Lemon's history, but it, again, I mean, it's it's all painted relatively close to the surface. You don't get people sitting and sort of telling you the life story, and because mm. they're not point-of-view characters, again, you don't get to see from within them them reminiscing, them talking about X, Y, Z, them going, you know, oh, this reminds me of this, blah, 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 and, and seeing it all from their point of view. And there are some characters who I think just you wouldn't have as point of view characters because mm -hmm. they know too much. And I know uh, George R. R. Martin said this, there are some characters in Game of Thrones or, you know, Ice and Fire that he wouldn't ever make as point of view characters because they, they know too much. They're too clued in on what's going on. And if they even had one chapter as a point of view character, they bring so much context out that it would rob the rest of it of narrative tension because you'd know so you needed to keep them as secondary characters. Mm. I think Melisandre was one of the characters he gave as an example of that. But I haven't read the books, so I don't know. But at least in the context of these two, for example, you know, I wouldn't have made Loveless a point of view character because she knows too much of the politics. And you would either get a scene where, because she already knows so much, you're not explaining anything, 
or you're explaining too much, which is why, again, Chell makes for quite a good character because, or quite a good point of view character, because he generally doesn't know what's going on and somebody has to explain it to him, which is what he has in common with the reader. The reader doesn't know what's going on. And short of giving them a history lesson, you're more going kind of point to point and like, what's this? Why is it important? Like, this is all you need to know right now. Keep moving. And the significance of other things will come along later. It's a choice stylistically. Uh, it's what made the early part of the first book, I think, quite hard to get into because Chell doesn't have anyone to talk to in the first part of the book. Is it, you know, he talks to characters, but those characters mm -hmm. basically don't like him or are scheming. Mm -hmm. If you think of sort of, yeah, I don't know how well you remember the book, but he essentially has three conversations uh, in the first part. And only one of the people he talks to isn't thinking about killing him. Right. <laughs> from that. I actually, actually just re-listened to it uh, and, fin and finished it back up this morning. So, yeah, oh, awesome. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, they're, they're kind of just like, oh, come on, you know, kind of thing. And he's, you know, I, I just imagine him, you know, flipping his hair back and just going, oh, about my day, you know, kind of thing. And then, you know, he just gets thrust into the spotlight and then he becomes the idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It is. I mean, it's just, this is something that I've sort of I've, I've said recently. Like, um, Chell feels very sorry for himself. You know, he is he's still just about a teenager. He's been sent away from home. His father has died. He's got this horribly dull job. He should be somebody relatively important, but everyone kind of treats him like dirt or keeps him at arm length. He's not accepted by the nobility. He's viewed with suspicion by the guardsmen. So he's just in this sort of like nether world of of having no friends bluntly he has no friends he has no contemporaries he has no peers and so he's just turned inward and he's surly and he's you know recalcitrant there you go there's a five dollar word and like he's he, he makes defiance into his personality yeah and all of this is and you may find, you know, if, if you're going back just to, to reread or re-listen to the book, knowing what comes, knowing the sort of the history of it, I think it's probably a lot easier to get into a second time round when you know where it all leads to. Yeah. But as a first read, because he doesn't have a sounding board until part two, which is talking sort of 80 pages in, where people are actually telling him, you know, shut up, stop asking questions, but here's what we need to know. Even really, Tarful's the first person who gives him any political complex uh, context, but Toffel doesn't know anything about why anything's <laughs> happening. <laughs> you know, he, can, he can tell you what's in the history books, you know, what, what he learned at the academy, but uh, he cannot tell you like why, why we've been kidnapped and put on a boat, for example. Like, well, I mean, just have to sort of take a wild stab in the dark at that, don't you? Which is ironically what comes pretty soon afterwards. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so that's one of the nice things about moving to a sequel at least yeah, the continuation of book two picks up about two weeks after the first book, give or take it's, it's in the you know, unspecified because I didn't actually sit down and work out exactly how many days, but it's about, it's about that. I've got a calendar, you know, I know like what date most of the main events happen and then sort of where things pick up, but it's a lot more like month by month than day by day or week by week. So it's winter. I can tell you that much. Um, and you know, the situation more to the point, the characters know the situation in, in a way that perhaps, again, he said, dancing around spoilers, they didn't truly know by the end of the first book, or at least for the bulk of the first book. So 
we know what's happening at the start. You know who the characters are. You know what their relationships are. So you can just kick off and just charge ahead and not worry about stopping to explain the political context for all of this, the power structures, the hierarchies, the why these people are important and these people are not kind of thing, because everything can just be sort of fed almost bit by bit as you come to it. And that's, again, why like when it comes to writing fantasy or genre fiction like this, second world stuff, speculative stuff, where things are different from what you would expect, you know, just if you read, I don't know, a fiction book set in our world. You know, if you read a thriller and it talks about mobile phones and cars, you're like, I know what those things are. If he says he's driving from Alabama to like Tampa Bay, then you go, hmm, well, I think that's quite a long way. But... <laughs> bring it full circle (laughs) yeah yeah. so when it comes to writing speculative stuff and you you are outside people's zone of personal experience you you are going to need to explain things you go along and one of the ways of doing it is you have a character who is if not stupid then entirely ignorant or oblivious and they have to ask questions you know what's this why is it happening which means they need someone to be able to ask those questions too (laughs) and if you don't Give them that person until 80 pages in, you know, hypothetically, uh, it can make the book slightly harder to read than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So the great news is the sequel does not have that problem. You've got everyone you need in place. You've got all the relationships raring to go. And then maybe you've got one or two extra characters chucked in to mix things up a little bit. Uh, but then it's just more of the same, really, isn't it? <laughs> so now... Did you write this as a duology? Is it a trilogy? Is it set of yeah. four books? How did you how did you set how did you set out versus how is it actually going to go? It was planned as two and finished as two, and it was never really in doubt. I mean, there were when I first turned in the draft of this one, and it was so much longer. My agent did say, Are "You sure this should be?" Because you know, one hundred twenty thousand is great length for a book like the Blackhawks, you know, something that is pretty fast paced and not very deep. I mean, again, like, I like to think something like Master Artificer to Justin Call's book, like, but you, the amount of law and history and systems in, you know, you need the time and the space and the rest of it. This thing is like a pamphlet in comparison. I'm pointing at the first one here. You may, you may remember this book from uh, 10 minutes ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> It's still it's still a chunky book. One hundred twenty thousand words. It's, yeah. it's still a chunky book. Yeah. You know, I liked it like the, like large numbers of, of well Pratchett books. Some of my favorite books in existence are like eighty thousand words. And I think, well, how, how did he do all of that in so few words? I'm gradually gaining a bit more of an understanding of like how to write more with less. Mm-hmm. But it's it's taking a time. And in the meantime, yeah. So I I wrote one hundred twenty k for that, and then turned in something which must have been approaching one hundred eighty thousand. So my agent said to me at the time, should this be two books? Should we, in fact? Now, you've not had a chance to read book two yet, have you? No. So it's, I'm, it's... I'm planning, on, planning on throwing the audio in tomorrow once it releases. So yeah. I, I had to get Colin Mace's audio narration again. It, Naturally. He, 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 ki- he killed the first book, so I got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the 10 hours are just going to fly past, although okay. that might not be enough to cover the whole book. So, yeah, you might have to just sit and pull the car off to the side of the road and sit <laughs> for two hours and let it finish. But... It's divided into four parts, much like the first book was, I think. <laughs> Can't remember. You have a part one, a part two, 
There's, yeah, there's a three and a four in the first book. In the similar, there's four parts again in the second book, just because we like to take the three-act structure and just fuck it up. But <laughs> he said, should we split this thing into two? Should it, you know, parts one and two be extended into a, a, a you know, a book of its own right, and then three and four can be their own book as well? And I said, no, don't be ridiculous. You disgust me. Um, <laughs> I don't think those are the exact And then he words lost your agent and yeah. he didn't get no yeah. <laughs> story. Um, uh, no, I, I, I said I didn't like the idea, basically, because parts, the, the halfway point isn't, isn't uh, it, it's not enough of a book to stand on its own. Like you couldn't have just cut it and gone, and that middle bit's a book. Because mm-hmm. however disappointed people were when they got to the end of the first book and thought the story was perhaps unfinished to do that again with the second <laughs> book would have been unforgivable i don't know if anyone would, would buy the third one except for yeah. the cover depending on who the artist was well that, that's a, ver- a very good point i mean the, the get once again the cover art continues to sell uh, the books far better than the contents does so thank <laughs> you for that guys but we we took the decision we, we were sticking with it and the the end result as as i mentioned earlier was we just we lost everything that was extraneous to Charles' point of view and that again it makes it for a simpler read we lost subplots narrative strands things where you could explore a lot of the characters personal histories you know the encounters that they had so that there's a kind of you know the black horse is quite linear point to point to point to point to point um the righteous I wanted to sort of to, to subvert the kind of wheel of time style, like ever ever splitting fantasy, where you start with a group of people and that splits into you know the five of them go off on five separate plot threads and then they meet new people and then those people split up into five separate plot, plot threads and the whole thing just sort of becomes like fractal points of view. Uh, I wanted to play on that by having the characters come together at the beginning, then split up and all go off on their own bits, and then all get back together again and carry on after that. So it's a sort of, you know, bulbous middle, but it still narrows you. And um, that meant that, yeah, for the midsection of the book, everyone's separated. They're all doing their own thing. They're all sort of achieving their own goals or not. Um, And you're seeing lots more of the world as a result. You're seeing stuff from other characters' points of view, and you're seeing, crucially, bits of history. You know, maybe they're off trying to do a thing convince a person to do a thing and that person it turns out someone they crossed paths was years ago and blah, blah blah and so all of this Chell obviously has his own journey within that and his stuff is ironically very personal um but we lost all of it <laughs> so we kept Chell's thing but in terms of you know finding out say Rennick's history with the mercenaries, finding out Lovelace's history as you know as a, an assassin or whatever else, finding out about Foss's history as a wrestler, you know all of these things, which were in there and covered with sort of scenes or even chapters of their own, all got put to the side, and that helped cut the book down into much more of a point to point to point to point. It's just for that middle bit. Chell is just with he's either on his own or with a very you know, very much smaller set of characters around and the others are off screen and you mm. don't know what's going on with them until you know without wishing to give too much away they can meet up again afterwards or some of them can most which of them is what can. you did a little bit at the end of Blackhawks as well because uh you know Shell ponders about a few of the characters while he's in his own predicament, you know, right towards the end which you know I I, w- I will agree after going back to it the second time that 
there is a bit of a cliff that you hang from <laughs> right at the end of Black Ops. But no, you know, knowing now that I'm going to be able to listen to the second one starting yeah. tomorrow, it's not that bad. But you know, it's kind of like you know, to be continued, uh, you know, a feel to it. So it's you know, it's like having to wait, you know, every single week for a new episode of a show to come out. But now yeah. I just know that that show's going to end. What's what's the next book? It is, and 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 very deliberately. So the whole thing. There are the sort of mirroring aspects, the way the book opens to the way the second book finishes. So, the, you know, the, the beginning, again, without wishing to give too much away, the first sentence of book one is a mirror of the last sentence of book two. And I have planned it that way from the beginning, like since almost I wrote that first sentence, I knew how I wanted the book to end and I knew how I wanted to write that last sentence and that fed into the first sentence first sentence then got the crap edited out of it <laughs> so it's actually less of a direct mirror more of a sort of you can see oh that is that's very similar to that instead of it being like look at this narrative or you know look at this sort of construction of words look at this other one see how they are mirrors of each other like no not not anymore and there's a few things where i think I didn't perhaps do a good enough job explaining to my editors during the first book. Like we, we need to keep this because in book two, there's a thing which plays off it. And I mean, I did, I, I put my foot down on a couple of them and said, we, we need to keep this. And then subsequently stuff got edited out of book two. So, so there are some kind of sticky outy little nodule bits in the first book, which would have connected up to our whole plot thread that was going on. And instead like, yeah, that's, it's not really going to pay off. Sorry, but I'm I'm hopeful another book can someday can pick this stuff up and go. Oh yeah, in case you're wondering about that, that's where yeah that's where it ended up. That was all. Yeah, you weren't wasting your time, honest. But it, it's <laughs> it's hard, you know, just to sort of going through the editing process to make the first one into something that was really smooth and sort of punchy meant losing a lot of what you would otherwise call as a sort of generic world building. You know, generic sounds sort of slightly generic. dismissive, but it's, well, just mentioning surrounding kingdoms and principalities and, you know, trade routes and the names of seas and what the other forests and that kind of thing. All of this stuff was in there, you know, re references to X, Y, Z. And a lot of it was just like, this doesn't matter. It's not important. Mm -hmm. It's going to confuse the reader because they're going to think they're going to need to know this. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it then just, just got struck out, yeah. which was fine. And, and it makes sense. And it does mean that it's a lot sort of, it's a, it's a smoother read, like I said, but it then made it a bit harder in the righteous to have like, Hey, remember where I mentioned this bit in book one? Well, great news. It's, Oh no, that's not in book one anymore. Oh, Oh, that's a bit of a shame. Whoops. Oh, oh well. <laughs> On to the next thing. But in the end, in the end, you know, a lot of the, the sort of the world building y stuff, or the, a lot of the sort of the expansive world, you know, showing you new and interesting locations and new and interesting characters got shelled as well. Because and it, again, this is a point that the editors make. Like you can have too much of a good thing. I know people have clamored to say, can we find out more about the history of the Black Horse? Can we find out more about the world you know can we just take our time with some of the scenes so i was thinking whenever you know anyone gave me feedback like that i was like just you wait book two you're going to have all of this extra stuff you're going to go mad for it but the reality is some of these scenes that they just sort of slowed everything down like mm -hmm. 
going away and meeting an interesting character and an interesting setting and, and sort of going back and forth in debate and dragging up ancient history like it's it's sort of informative and all the rest of it but it doesn't drive the narrative because the tension of the scene comes from well are you know are they gonna do the thing i want or not are they going to cause trouble am i going to get into trouble and there's only so many times you can do that before it just starts to feel repetitive no matter how individually exciting every scene is and if you're going through that pathway with chell you know, he's off on his particular part of the mission to do whatever it is that needs doing i'm trying to speak very vaguely not so as not to give anything away about book two but it's making it quite hard to sort of what what are they doing why none of it matters um they all have their own individual tasks to achieve and you will see what how chell's task or chell's part of it and the people with him get on and that bit on its own carries enough tension and enough sort of interest to to carry that entire phase of the narrative through. If you go through the same thing with like five different plot strands, it can just get a bit tedious. Even if, you know, the individual sort of aspects of, if you pick one scene in isolation, you're like, that was a really cool scene. It was a shame to lose it. Like, yeah, but it was the third scene like that in a row. Mm -hmm. And that's why I had to go as well as, you know, the point of view considerations. So all of this is, is a sort of lessons learned thing. Like, pick one point of view character and stick to it for the entire series, perhaps, or at least be consistent about points of view characters. Don't get halfway through a book and then go, hey, you know that character is in the background? Well, they're going to have a scene now because the, the other characters wandered off. Right. I, I thought it was fine. Apparently, it's uh, frowned on. <laughs> you get your wrist slapped a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's a learning process, isn't it? But it's, I mean, there's still, there's, there, there were experimental bits in there and some of it's still in there. There's, there's some, I know, some genuinely interesting stuff happens in it, and you'll have to see if you agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, can you um, tell the audience, you know, maybe some people that haven't read the Blackhawks, uh, a little bit about what it's about, and then give us an idea of what to expect in the Righteous. Yeah, I should I should have this thing. I mean, I should have a little laminated card by now. I can probably read from. should so hand out to people. Yeah, the, the Black Hawks is a low fantasy adventure story. Uh, I'd say the whole series is one story split into two parts, and that way you don't get to the end of the first book and go. Um, and it's basically about a young man who has a lot of very firmly held beliefs about how the world should be who gets embroiled with events far beyond his understanding and capabilities and falls in with a group of mercenaries called the black hawks and between them they find themselves in a position to save the kingdom or not <laughs> so so book one is essentially the uh, the journey of the main character from a surly recalcitrant teen uh, who has no friends at all to joining up sort of with a mercenary group. Uh, but it is, it's a subversion of, of the standard sort of heroic narrative of, you know, the, the, the farm boy who would be king or even just the, the adventurer who picks up the sword and then by the end of page 200 is capably dueling his way through anyone. Uh, this guy does not get better. He's crap at the beginning. He's crap in the middle and he's still crap at the end, but he tries. And, and that's the important thing. 
maybe. So it's I great say, when you just stay yeah. trapped on an entire novel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, well, they say write what you know, right? It's <laughs> so the, the uh, you know the, the the pitch for the book is that this is a subversion of your classic adventure fantasy. You're looking at like someone who has a great uh, affection for the classic adventure stories that, that I grew up reading. And I wanted to do something which fitted the mold of it, you know, fit the template while spinning all of the insides around into a great big kind of funky blamongy mess, which is why, yeah, the main character is useless. And that drives some people absolutely mad. Um, they are infuriated. <laughs> like, why Why is the main character oblivious, ignorant, incapable, constantly getting beaten up? Why doesn't he get any better? Because, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily. One of the, yeah, the old Nietzsche um, saying of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, but if it, you know, breaks your arms and breaks your legs and leaves you with internal bleeding, sure, you're not dead, but you're not stronger. <laughs> you're left with a lifetime of chronic pain and, and pr presumably a greatly shortened lifespan. So, eh. And maybe Nietzsche's right. It's just a question of time. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. In, in terms of the first book, at least, the second book is very much, a, as I said, it's the expansion. It's showing you more of the world, more of the history, more of the people, more of the places. They go to cold places. They go to hot places. They go to places that are really quite temperate, but it's you know winter, so it's chilly. Um, as well as different temperatures and different elevations, there are also different styles of building and people speak different languages as well. <laughs> there are many customs to be encountered. I mean, it's a tour guide really. So it is, it's the you know, the, the same sort of sense of we have to go on a journey. Like this is, this is quest fantasy. You have to go on a journey. You can't just stay in one place, point to things and go, we need to fix that. So, there's traveling. There's a lot of traveling. There's a lot of swearing. I should have mentioned that earlier. There's an awful lot of swearing in the book. I based it on the working relationships that I've had for the last 20 years. And as I've now found myself saying repeatedly, the one constant in all my professional engagement is that things go wrong and people swear. So there's no reason why this shouldn't be any different. The whole point of this is that these are professionals and that's in the strictest sense as then technically they get paid for this. Well, they would get paid if they could actually find anyone to pay them, but they certainly don't have any other sources of income. So they're not very well liked or respected, but they are good at their jobs and they know they are. It's just stuff keeps going against them. And haven't we all felt like that? So in book two, there's more of that. There's more comings and goings and banter and, and excitement. There's a couple of new characters thrown in um, for better or worse. And, uh, and I like to think that things end up in a surprising place and end in a surprising way. But it is an end. It is not not a pause like, <laughs> like the end of the first book. It's, it's it not a see you in two years. <laughs> no, no. And again, that should have been at most 12 months. There should have been 12 months at most. And the original target date, first book came out in October 2019. The original target date for book two was something like July 2020. Is it 11 months ago? That's when we were going to get it to you. But then there were some delays, even pre-pandemic, things got a bit delayed and it was fine. So we moved to August and then it was October and, uh, and then the pandemic hit and, uh, everything just sort of went out the window in some ways. I mean, it's June. <laughs> yeah. And, and that 
really has been a bit of a rush, <laughs> bizarrely. You know, despite having had all of this time, right. everything has still happened on an incredibly compressed timeline. Like there were no, there were no arcs, there were no advanced reader copies. They were they literally sent the finished book out to reviewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we've we've not had a very prolonged publicity period before release, and uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting to see sort of still how much interest we can drum up it in the whole thing. The good news is that if you enjoyed the first book, then you should enjoy the second book because it's the characters that you enjoy insulting each other in a manner which is greatly pleasing. Uh, there's still a lot of stabbing. There are way more explosions. Um, and it, yeah, there's a lot of stuff which maybe felt like a loose end in book one that you will finally see why it was important <laughs> in book two. But to say, you know, the, it's kind of difficult not to enjoy stories with mercenaries that, you know, have the witty banner back and forth and have just these interesting, you know, arcs, whether or not they're super flushed out or they're, you know, left to interpretation or the imagination. But, you know, just, just the fact that you just have this, this merry bunch of lovely people that love hacking and stabbing and, you know, just, continue just to crap all over chill it's it just it's just wonderful (laughs) they're they're just they're doing what comes naturally i mean it's the sort of he kind of invites it on himself but again the only only person who gets it more in the neck than shell does is tarful who is he's a prince like there's one one character you you have to hate him so much but like just feel so bad for how just oblivious he is to everything yeah yeah, well, I mean, again, just just you wait till you get through book two and oh, you see sort of his, because <laughs> there's only you know it's only so long that people can push you around when you know you're a prince and you know you're important before yeah. you you start really stamping your feet very hard. Is that so, what it's like being a writer too? <laughs> <laughs> I t- I mean, I had to put a special mat down because I used to stamp my feet so <laughs> hard. That just, uh, uh, you yeah. Know. You can, yeah, you can only grr so many times before you really, yep. really got to put the heel down to the to the carpet. Absolutely, they just you just get no respect these days. I tell you, anyone born after nineteen, everybody's just no Rod- Rodney Dangerfield. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's basically that. I mean, in many ways, though, that it's the the nature of writing a book. It all has to come out of one person's head, assuming it's not a collaboration, and every character on some level is me but some of them are a lot closer to me than others i don't think any of them any of them is literally me i don't think i could even claim you know because obviously chell is the one i feel the most close to Mm -hmm. but he and i are fundamentally very different and in some ways i i admire him for his ability to stick to things and again it's the sort of it's the ironic refraction of how he starts because he's essentially friendless and alone at the beginning of the book. He has, he has no self-belief. He has a lot of kind of, I don't know what you might call uh, firmly held teenage opinions in the way that sort of teenagers, the more they find out about the world, it's very easy to kind of to seize on something as being like, this is the truth. This is, the right answer and i know it now and mm-hmm. the rest of the world is too stupid to see what i see oh gosh now i am an adult i gotta deal i gotta deal with that in a lot in, in 12 years i don't, I don't yeah. want to hear about oh, that yeah. <laughs> oh, 
it'll happen fast, no doubt. I mean, I'm my oldest is eight now, and she is she's beginning to read stuff and tell me about it. And I can still spot the parts where she kind of deviates from what she's learned or what she's read into fantasy land. Like it's just the, the sort of the join of like, oh yeah, and we learned about it at school, and and there are things they're called space shuttles, and they're still up there, and sometimes they come down, and I, yeah, okay. So what what's happened there is. I was with you up till the part where you just started making shit up and you yeah. don't, you don't think I know that I can say, and it, and it's, it triggers a lot of flashbacks for me because I can remember being eight and coming home from school and telling my mum the most ridiculous shit and being oh, like, yeah. yeah, I can say anything because I learned it at school and she has to believe me. Yeah. No, no kids. That's not I, I, how it I remember, works. I remember those days. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, and then your parents couldn't talk about it on social media about how stupid the kid was. <laughs> Yes, fortunately. Again, I mean, mostly I just I just slag my kids off on live streams, ideally. But um, I, mean, they're, I think they're in bed. <laughs> but see, that's like, you know, when I, when I was that age, like I, I would just talk to my sister about like Pokemon. And she'd be like, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, and, oh my gosh, like I, I caught this one and I, and I beat this gentleman. Like that's all I cared about, you know, when I was like seven. And yeah. then she would like take me to the movies and just be like, you know what? I don't care for this, but I know he enjoys this. So I'm just going oh, to nice. live for it. I'm like, thank you. Because my parents yeah. care less. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have a sister who's quite a long, uh, long way younger than I am. She's nearly 10 years younger than me. And one of the, the best things about that was that I could, when I was a teenager, I could take her to the cinema to watch like all the Pixar films and things that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And just sort of drag this kid in with me. Like, this is my five year old sister. And she's like, I don't want to watch this. Shut up. We're watching Toy Story. <laughs> you know, um, so I, it was, yeah, that was, that was extremely useful for me. Uh, yeah. Of course, now you can just stream everything. So I don't yeah. need to bother with the kids. Yeah, exactly. Just like, oh, oh we, can just, we can just put it on the TV. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that, sitting there. And as you can tell, uh, it's, it's become very English here uh, as it's gotten a lot darker than it was when we first started. Yeah. Oh, exciting. Very, very rainy. Um, yeah, I still I still haven't gone yellow. I'm increasingly be- beginning to believe that the nightlight thing just doesn't work on, you, on this. You've gotten a little less since the beginning, I believe. I, I can see your facial features I, a little bit more. Zoom back. <laughs> there you go. The just, sudden, just be stiff as a board. Neon glow. For, I mean, I don't do myself any favors with my complexion to begin with. It is so, still gray. So I got to know. Yeah, oh, yeah it's, it's, it's been great here for like a week. It's rained every single freaking day, which is good. We, we needed rain. But yeah, like, I miss at it. At some point it gets old. Yeah, because it's like what? Your, your blustery well, summer there. I think Stephen Aaron having... was telling me it's very hot. It's it yeah we're we're having um, emphatic summer. So May was a dreadful month, and then it got to the end of May, and and it was like thirty first, like boom, summer. There you go, and it's just been too hot, and everyone's like, too hot, can't do anything. Yeah, now now it's, that everybody can go out, they don't want to go out. It's kind of yeah. kind of way well, it is because it's, it's too freaking hot. You know, it's it's beautiful beautiful weather if you don't have anything to do. Yeah. And if you're actually, you know, you're stuck, for example, inside working and you haven't got a lot of air circulation and your windows don't work, then, yeah, <laughs> stupid windows. Should have got a Mac. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. Um, I was going to ask, uh, so so now that you've finished the Articles of Faith or finished the Articles of Faith, mm-hmm. uh, what uh, what are you working on next? That is a really good question, and uh, unfortunately, I can't give you a conclusive answer. So, well, I, mean, can't. I know what I'm working on, or oh. do I? Yeah, um, there's still a lot of 
uh, chat going on back and forth about sort of what what we're going to do next. There are quite a lot of possible outcomes, um, and yeah, I can't I can't say with any confidence like it's definitely going to be that, or it's definitely going to be that, mm-hmm. or it might be none of those. In which case, I'll do something completely different. <laughs> That's what we're here for. We're here to give false truths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I will say is that even if there is nothing else after these two books, this story is complete. You should have no qualms at all about reading the series start to finish and you will get a complete story out of it. Although you might get to the end and go, but hang on, but what about that that got mentioned? And then where, where is it? And the answer is, shh. There might be something on my website about that. <laughs> there might be an announcement <laughs> at some point. It's the word might. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I can't say again, like absolutely nothing. Nothing is predictable at this stage. And I mean, certainly as the last year has shown, uh, if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd have given you one answer. Six months ago, I'd have given you a very different answer. Now we're somewhere between the two yeah. or a completely different answer as well. Um, so that's a frustratingly vague and utterly unhelpful answer, which should give you a sense of what it's like working with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. I mean, uh, uh, we've known each other for a couple of years now and uh, it, it, it hasn't changed since the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Verbose, but non-committal. Exactly. You know, you're like the perfect person to invite to a party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. My yeah, we might be so. there if potentially something doesn't pan out. But there's a possibility that we'll definitely be there. That that is actually, yeah. A friend of mine emailed me about a barbecue at the end of the summer, and, and I, I emailed him back with like a sort of sixteen point, almost a logic diagram of sort of, well, if we've got the second jabs, and if we've got like the you know the lockdown restrictions are up, and then if we haven't already booked to take the kids to somewhere, because da da da, and it's just this sort of there's almost a flow chart with logic gates and that kind of thing of like. And then maybe, and could we also, but but then, and would you have, and it's like, just yes or no, man. Just yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I feel like that's what everybody wants, but I saw, I saw somebody tweet out the other day that says, uh, now that, you know, my COVID excuse is kind of run its course. Now I have to use my usual crap excuses to get yeah. out of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Cause I mean, you know, I swear, I mean, at, at this point, like we're one of like the, I guess least uh, like jabbed states in the United States, oh, in the yeah. US right now. Um, but everybody's walking around without masks on just because we're in the South and who would, who, who cares, you know? Yeah. Um, and so everybody's just kind of gone back to more for the most part. I mean, I still wear my mask everywhere because my wife and I haven't gotten our jabs yet because we're still like, she's still breastfeeding and stuff. And we're trying to get through that first and, yeah. and worth you know, young and nobody knows of the effects. Bloody so, blah, yeah. So we've so, got to do yeah. our, we've got to do our, uh, our, our nice little bit of research to know which ones are going to get. But yeah. you know, and but I see everybody else not wearing them. I'm just like, man, we're confident. We're a confident last place state. <laughs> we should play, just, play to your we should just keep, just keep marching forward. It, you know, we're already talking about you know, full capacity stadiums for football season in the fall. It's just, it's just going to be wonderful. I can't wait to see what the fall looks like. Yeah. 
I mean, at least at the moment, the weather is good, or the weather's good here. Far too good, so everyone could be outside. But it's either ninety-five or raining here. So that's Oof. that's kind of how our summers go. So yeah, and, that, and like eighty percent humidity. I do, I do not like that. I mean, I know that again. I've I've, I've had loads of, of colleagues from India, and they've always complained about like London in the summer. Yeah, but but doesn't it get up to like forty degrees Celsius in Delhi? Like, yeah, but it's a dry heat. London's so humid, and also. Yeah. You've got like the underground, you've got the tube, you know, the subway and getting on that while it's already summer and finding itself crammed oh. in with, I don't know how much a, a tube car takes, but it's got to be several hundred people just absolutely rammed in. You know, the temperature, I think they measured the temperatures getting up to 50 degrees Celsius on the deep lines. Um, and that's your commute in and out every day. No. I, the thought of returning to that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'd be like, I don't know if my coworkers would like me to come in. Yeah. I'm just going to smell horrible by the time I get there. Yes. Yeah. I did have an old flatmate who had to shower. He had to shower in the flat and then would take the tube into work. And then he'd have to shower again when he got to work because he, he just, he stank. Just drenched. And yeah. yeah. Oh, golly. Ugh. All right. Um, so any, anything, anything that you've read so far in 2021 that you recommend? Oh, Oh, that is a good question. So I've not been reading a lot of fantasy at the moment, um, largely because I'm still sort of fiddling about with with projects, he said euphemistically. So what have I read? I read The Empire of the Vampire at the very beginning of the year, the Jay Kristoff book. Mm. Um, and that absolutely enthralled me. It's a massive book. You say this this one is nearly 600 pages, and I think it was fairly sturdy. That is 800 plus yeah see the 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 arc up on my shelf although that's not my arc they um they gave me i got the spiral bound one i was like here you are you midlister you, you may read this <laughs> and then uh about a month later in the post i got this sort of box arrive and in, inside the incredibly glossy empire of the vampire the arc with just the uh, the amazing artwork and all the rest of it but the name was my address, but the name on the label was Joe Abercrombie. <laughs> <laughs> so my first thought was, obviously, somebody's taking the piss. I was, yeah, this is, this is Jack at Harper Voyager, but like, to Joe Abercrombie. Yeah, yeah, as he likes to style himself. <laughs> and uh, so I, me I messaged him and said, oh, are you making fun of me? And he was like, whoops, no, sorry, that should have gone to somebody else. Like, oh, I wonder who. Uh, but they let me keep it, which was nice. I don't know if they sent Joe. A, a I was about to ask, did you, did you actually get his yeah. copy? I tweeted him, and uh, and he at least dignified me with a reply, which was sweet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he ever got his copy, and even if he had, whether he'd have read it. Nonetheless, the book is fantastic, and it's that is part one of three, I believe. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got to the end of it. I was like, how soon will there? be? be part two to read <laughs> well the, the first book's not coming out until august and i'm reading this a third of january maybe i finished it right so i was quite twitchy about that for a while but one of the things that um that really struck me was how how well set up it was for a computer game like the, yeah i i don't know if you played the witcher 3 like as every right thinking human has but um <laughs> 
there are so many parallels between the kind of the world of Empire of the Vampire, the way that the vampire hunters are set up, the Silver Saints, you know, the, all of the sort of the tools they have, the the tattoos and all that kind of thing. There's there's like a built-in leveling system there. There's a hierarchy of baddies. They've all got their own different strengths and weaknesses. And you're just like, this is such a cool game. I would I would love to play that game. So I tweeted I tweeted Jay Kristoff, who is I think the only fantasy writer taller than me. Um, <laughs> although mysteriously nobody compares him to Stephen Merchant, I think guessing because he's Australian, he's like a sort of giant Australian Dave Grohl. Um, yeah, there you go, pretty much. Yeah, pretty Which much. Is, it's it's the it's the beard and the hair. That's, that's yeah, yeah. He's he's I mean he's very rock and roll, and I am whatever the opposite of rock and roll is. So like pe- jam roll, possibly very very, very Office Depot. So, something very pale. Yeah, jam sandwich. <laughs> So that but that book's fantastic. I'd recommend that book to anybody, especially if, like me, you think mm, vampires. I don't know if I like vampires. A bit scary, a bit pointy. You know, well, they're, they're all a bit done, aren't they? Like, well, not like this. And it's not to say that the vampires in it are like, oh, you know, they're rage zombies. Or they move fast. You know, that kind of like, ha, we've changed it so they're not even the thing you recognise them. Well, no, they they are emphatically classic vampires. But he's done it in such a way that it is. It's a fantastic fantasy story, first and foremost. It's got humor. It's got twists. It's got all the rest of it. And I read it, and I just thought, well, why can't I write a book like that? I should do that. I should just write a book like this. That's what I should do. Now there's titting about with characters who are shit. <laughs> right, right ones about, you know, broken vampire hunters. That's way cooler. I should have done that. So, uh, yeah, lesson and, learned. And have, like, 30 editions of it come out. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think next time, instead of zero arcs, I should have 11. Yes. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, because you know, he, he's got a, you know, he's got the U.S. version, mm. the U.K. version. There's now a Goldsboro like purple edition. There's another one, I think, that's silver. It's like yeah. insane. And then you know, then of course they had the four, the four arts, which I don't know if that really ended up being a thing or if it was like a marketing no. thing. Because I've yeah. not seen anybody with one of those. No, I've seen, I've seen U.K. Point. arcs go out, but yeah, I, I have one of the U.K. ones, although it is Joe Abercrombie's. Um, I. I <laughs> I've seen none of that, but I, I mean, thinking about, so I have, I have read loads of books this year and none of them are relevant because they're all like research or nonfiction or like stuff that I read just for kind of for tone. I've been reading. I can't, I mean, what can I say? I've, uh, I've read a Dave Eggers book recently, the circle that my mother-in-law impressed upon me. Um, that's about, I don't know. It's technically a thriller about, sort of facebook slash google slash um you know techno utopia that's taking over the world and a bright-eyed uh millennial who goes to work there and uncovers their sinister plan to enslave humanity except she's kind of fine with it and um yeah i didn't like that book i I can tell (laughs) did not like it uh i mean and it was it was hard to put my finger on why and i think it's the problem is i'm I know too much about the subject matter to be able to let stuff slide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is one of those things where, where people watch films and most people can watch a film and just go like, hey, that was cool. That was enjoyable. Unless you happen to be reasonably experienced in some aspect of the film, you know, like the, the people who know sort of police procedure and watch like detective shows going, no, 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 that's not how forensic analysis works. No, you can't do that. Or, you know, the hacking bit where there's network security agents just going, 
no so yeah. this whole thing you know i i know a fair bit about sort of social media startups tech all the rest of it and yeah just the sort of rather blithe statements about oh yes we instituted a real name policy and that fixed all online abuse overnight like no that that doesn't work we've seen that doesn't work even when this book was published it didn't work like <laughs> and, and you've done that on kind of page three and you're like you're not holding me here i'm afraid so yeah i shouldn't right. really be complaining about books because most of the books i've read this year have have been great i'm just trying to think what else have i actually read this year that is relevant like <sighs> do you sorry. read any more arts uh what else hang on i had one recently and I've, got, I've got the new i've got the new peter brett book that is sitting there so i'm currently i'm trying to finish a non-fiction book which i've been struggling with um because it, it's very dry and if I tell you what it's about, it'll completely give away what it is on research. <laughs> so, um, so I've got the I've got the Desert Prince is sitting next to it, and that is that's fat and beautiful as all books should be, apart mm-hmm. from you know thin and, and slightly pasty ones like mine. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to reading that, and I've just got Francesca Haig's new book that literally came today, and I'm very excited about that one. Um, She's a phenomenal writer, and that one looks uh, incredibly emotionally draining to read, but also kind of hopeful. That's uh, the Cookbook of Common Prayer. I don't know if that's out in the States yet. So, I mean, I've not even read it yet, and I'd recommend it to anyone, but I'm not exactly an unbiased observer on that. Just look at, and I've read a load of China Mieville as well, which I've been meaning to do for years. Mm. And I finally I got through Perdido Street Station and The Scar, and I can see why they're extraordinary works, but I can also see the flaws in them, which is actually quite pleasing to me because I've subsequently read, uh, but no, sorry, not subsequently. Before that, I had read Embassy Town and The City and The City, and they're both flawless. They are fantastic books. So it was actually quite nice to go back to his early work and go, okay, so he wasn't perfect from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In your face, uh, you're, 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 you're one of those. <laughs> yeah. It's something just so disheartening about reading like a flawless book and written by somebody with a, a stable of flawless books. Like, come on, couldn't you just like have an off week and just you know half ass something? Come on, yeah. couldn't because we've felt like that, haven't we? Do you really want a whole book, or can't I just you know just write down the, the plot from Die Hard and just put in space at the end? I'm like, is that? <laughs> you know what? That's probably fine. That's probably a pretty decent book. We should do that you one next. Write, yeah, you should probably do that one. You should yeah. write that down. <laughs> My agent tells me I'm not allowed to write sci-fi yet. I have to do more fantasy, and then I'm allowed to write sci-fi. I wouldn't even write sci-fi. I'm not good enough to write proper sci-fi. You know, like you could write science fantasy. Yes, yeah, that kind of that Star Wars. Like, why have they got swords and why have they got magic if it's sci-fi? Because it's not sci-fi. It's it's fantasy, isn't it? It's, it's not yeah. even space opera. I'm quite mm-hmm. I quite interested in reading um, it's Jeremy Zal's books. I've not got to Stormblood? yeah that because that's like a combination of mass effect which i really enjoyed and oh no what was the other blade thing? runner blade runner yes yeah so, again it's sort of mix and match i'll have two from the top please just blend them up good yeah nice bit of cultural smoothie for me pretty uh, much <laughs> i mean there is nothing new left right there is you know everything has to be pitched as something meets something else now just oh yeah to, be able to tell you know, ha- half of fantasy is game of thrones meets or the witcher meets or yep. it's, it's everything that's had a massive tv or movie credit and they go okay yeah it's that and that 
like, you know, most of the stuff, you know, I say most, there's been a couple of books that I've said, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the last kingdom meets blah or whatever. Cause I feel like that is still a little bit lesser known than game of Thrones. Yeah. A lot of people have read Bernard Cornwell. So <laughs> you, you, I can't say, you know, he's a small time author, but, I was going to say, yeah, didn't, I get, he I wrote all the sharp books, didn't he? That's yeah. Kind of cool. well, yeah, I get, I, get, uh, I was reading those at school. I get tired of, of all the Game of Thrones uh, comparisons. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's what people know. People that don't read books, they're like, oh, Game of Thrones. I'm not like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's up to us bloggers, you know, to to rewrite you are, history. <laughs> you, you're, at, you're at the forefront. You know, we, we yeah. authors owe you because <laughs> I... Well, no one's going to read our crap otherwise, are they? Well, they this this saying on on a on another um, video recently, like the the purpose of reviews is not to point at something and go, "This is rubbish" and "This is brilliant." It's to say, if you're into this kind of thing, you're going to like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to help the readers find the books they'll want. And I'd like to see more of people just going. I was saying, I mean, some some reviews are actually quite nice, even when people don't like a book. It's about this isn't for me. You know, this isn't yeah. my kind of thing. So it's not just pointing again. This is utter crap, and I hate it. And everyone involved in it should be fired out of a cannon. Which, you know, which I've I seen many of those. <laughs> I don't go on Reddit very much. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, p- people people have told me before that you're like, you only write, you know, positive reviews. I was like, because yeah, yeah, yeah. anything I would write a negative review for, I didn't really care for, so I don't normally finish. So anything that I believe is below. Cause like, we know we do a 10 rating scales, like anything that's like below a five, I probably have only read 40 pages of yeah. because it just wasn't for me. So I had DNF it and go to the next thing. I was like, do you see my shelves? I don't have time to read everything. And I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to sit there and, re- you know, just seethe writing a review for a one star book because it's just not worth my time. I mean, I, I have to say that experience I had reading that, um, that Dave, Egg- Dave Eggers book, was unusual for me in that i wasn't sure if i liked it the whole way through and i stuck with it but i mostly stuck with it because my mother-in-law had given me the book and impressed upon me i think because it was kind of about computers and i kind of work with computers and <laughs> i don't i don't even know if she liked it she never said like you must read this book so i stuck with it and it's i don't know a week and a, i'm not a very fast reader i've got to say um so i got through it and it got to the end and i was like did I like that? I don't think I did. And it took me probably two days to sort of harden around that and to go, no, I really didn't like that book. The more I think about it, the more kind of, like, the more I find that, that aggravates me. Yeah. But it didn't get a sort of a visceral reaction the whole way through. If anything, it was a kind of, sort of ag- aggregation of minor dislikes, which built into a steady, and then the way that it ends was fitting for the book it's it's the correct ending for the book but it put the sort of the final nail in the coffin of yeah this is just not for me and that's what it boils down to maybe my mother-in-law did like it and good for her and then she made me read it you sure it wasn't you know, a hand me down she like read it and she was like i'm just gonna give this to dave yeah <laughs> here's a gift yeah. what is this shit oh my idiot son-in-law he reads books there you go <laughs> you're like this nonsense You'll read it. I've always, I've always thought about doing that to to my dad or my mom because they 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 really like to read. So anything I recommend, they'll generally read. So I'm really thinking about like one time because 
my mom my mom's kind of gotten on like a roll of, of books that I've recommended to her, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, you know, you just recommended something." Think about just giving her one that I'm just like would never read. Wow, <laughs> it's just not my taste, and just be like. I'm gonna see if she likes that book. Yeah. And see if she says anything. Now, right. now that you've pointed this out, because I'm pretty sure we figured out the formula of why you had to read that book. <laughs> hey, hey, mum, how do you feel about this new exciting book, Fifty Shades of Grey? I hear. It's, oh uh, gosh. Oh. I I might have to uh, might have to get another phone number. <laughs> oh uh, my god. We thought it was gone, but they keep bringing it back. I uh, know. Oh. Is it ever going to go away? I, I mean, again, there's too much money riding on it. There are too many of these things to become essentially cultural juggernaut, self-perpetuate. I mean, that that's a classic example of a book which I know loads of people, they bought it and they read it because they'd heard other people saying how bad it was and they wanted to find out for themselves. And I th that's an extraordinary piece of marketing. If only mm -hmm. I could get people to buy my books to see if they're really as bad as people say. <laughs> Guys, now, see, I have an experience where people... <laughs> This garbage. <laughs> no. I have had experience where, where people have really disliked a book and I've read it because of that and actually enjoyed it. Really? Well, mm -hmm. that's nice though. It is yeah. it's nice. And, and it, it is so subjective. There are loads of people who don't like swearing in books and mm -hmm. they are not, they're not going to like, doesn't matter how much they might like the rest of it. If every single time you come across an F word, you just sort of, you, you twitch. Yeah. Then, <laughs> Right, and that that doesn't belong there. You are not going to be able to get through the book. It's going yeah. to make you uncomfortable. And and then you'll get a then you'll get a one star review on Amazon about it. Yes, too sweary, yeah. disgusting. Um, and I mean, you, I'm like, you I'm sorry, to... it's not it's not marketed to your children. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, I, I I did. I thought maybe by making the opening line of dialogue thrice damn pig fucker, then we'd at least be getting it out up front. You wouldn't yeah. get people going sort of eighty pages in and then a cascade of F words comes rolling towards them like a sort of avalanche of profanity. So at least it, you're going to know early. Now, but, isn't there a book out there that I think like it's either a whole chapter or at least the first couple of pages in the chapter is just the F word continued like across two a couple of pages. I oh. forgot what book it was. Oh, that sounds interesting. I wish to know more. I'll, have to figure I out which, I'll, I'll let um, you know which book it was. I'm pretty sure I saw it the other day. There's a film. Oh, it's no, it's Four Weddings and a Funeral, the classic sort of Richard Curtis film from I'm oh God no, God, it must be thirty years old now. So Hugh Grant being a very posh English upper class Pratt who has to go to four weddings and one funeral. I mean, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but the opening scene of that is he and I think his flatmate are late for a wedding, and it's just the two of them just saying fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck! <laughs> Running around trying to get ready because they've missed their alarm, uh, and it's hilarious. You know, back when Richard Curtis wrote really funny films, uh, and so that's probably yeah the opening. I don't know, twenty-four words of that film, <laughs> just different ways of saying fuck. And uh, there was a scene in The Wire. Did you watch The Wire? I mean, that that used to be a, an outrageous question to ask somebody because you assume the answer was yes, but now we have streaming. I have not, so. but I but I haven't yeah. you know, because of streaming. But it's it's a plan to watch it because I actually watched a I watched a clip from it the other day. I think uh, I think it was like one of the younger characters is going in to buy it. I think it's a nail gun. Uh, and I, and I yeah, watched and I watched that scene, and I was like, "That's a phenomenal scene." I kind of need to watch it now. Yeah. Why, why is she getting the nail gun? Uh, it's best you don't ask. 
Yeah, I'm not I, gonna find I'm not gonna find that book, but when I do, I'll let you know because it, it was actually a book. It was like a whole, like I said, a whole chapter or two. Full I would love books. to see how that is done because I did. I mean, again, there's, there's less. Like I mentioned, there's less of the experimental stuff in book two than there was, but there is, for example, an, an entire scene with no dialogue tags, where I think it's still in there. I ought to check. Um, <laughs> and, and you've got six people talking at cross purposes. No one is identified. But it should be clear who is who. Now you'll be cheating by listening to the audio. I'm gonna say just cut, call him call him be figure it out. Doing the voice. <laughs> but this is one thing I find. So okay, you know, I read I read bits of my own stuff out, and I I read to my kids as well. And often, if you are reading out and you are doing the voices, you don't need the he said, she said, or you know Brian said and Colin said and that kind of thing because you're doing the voice for that character, so they can just talk. And it's like you know, in some ways, compare it to the radio or or a you know, dramatized podcast for people who are in the 21st century the radio what is that the wireless um people listen to those it's like when they just put like one podcast on at a time and you can't stop it oh yeah. god <laughs> what is radio daddy what what is broadcast television oh, my poor chill they have no idea no idea and they'll probably never know Try you try and tell them how good they have it, and they're just like, "Shut up, old man, leave me alone." I'm watching yeah. Netflix. I've got exactly. 16 million programs to get through, and you're slowing me down. Oh, I know. There's just so, there's so much stuff up there. Yeah. Just, well, if you, it if, doesn't stop. No, most of it's crap though, which is reassuring. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you if you find the book that's full of fucks, then I'm very interested in seeing like how how it is done, and then I'll pitch that. <laughs> so, sounds sounds good. Yeah. They did. They did two pages of fucks. I think I could do four. I yeah, fifteen. We'll, we'll go for five. <laughs> yeah, four hundred and eighty-five page. We can do better than that. Yeah, no, that's fine. We'll just we'll Jeez. use like PHUQ to just sort of mix it up a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's French. Um, yeah, exactly. So go ahead and uh, okay, hold up, hold up the uh, covers of both your books. Now, right here we go. So everybody can see. Yeah. So uh, articles of faith, black cocks on the left, righteous on the right. Which is your left and your right, but uh, yeah. So you can uh, you can buy the righteous tomorrow. Uh, I would recommend going to the uh, Broken Binding and getting yourself a signed copy. I'm assuming there's right. some signed copies available. I believe um, so. The Goldsboro Special Editions like these uh, are on sale. Well, Black Hawks are all sold, but you can get. Oh, I just full screened myself by mistake. That was an interesting. <laughs> Didn't know that button did that. <laughs> But yeah, so The Righteous hits tomorrow, uh, but I recommend if you haven't checked out The Blackhawks, definitely give it a go. Uh, and yeah. if you enjoy audiobooks, Colin Mace does the narration for both, uh, and he's probably one of my favorite narrators, so that's a pretty easy bargain. Um, and if you enjoy audiobooks past The Blackhawks, uh, anything with Colin Mace, you got uh, Raven's Mark by Ed McDonald. Yes. Uh, you've got The Empires of Dust by Anna Spark. He's done Shadow of the God as well. The new yes, John he's Gwyn. done he's done the new John Gwynn as well, yes. which I need to listen to. I read it. I'm on the back of the book. Um, and uh, I uh, yeah, I need I need to listen to the audio too because it's it's such a phenomenal See, book. But got you on the back of this book. Uh, just it's Peter McLean again. Just, I mean, that no. guy gets everywhere. Yeah, I know. Poor, this poor, is, poor you. <laughs> <laughs> this is another book I have read. Oh, just, you know, stirring stuff. I know, I know. And yeah, and speaking of Peter McLean, I would definitely 
recommend Priest of mm. Gallows if you've read the first two. Uh, it's yeah. it's the best one in the series so far. So, uh, but as far as David goes, yes, you need to read the Articles of Faith. It's uh, it's, you it's fantastic. You and really it's do. two books and finished, so you don't need to worry about the, se- the series never getting. You don't have you don't have to worry you know about waiting a decade like all these other series that are out there yeah. that everybody decides to complain about. Less um, than two years between books. There you go. That was that was always the not, goal. We managed. It's not it. bad. <laughs> Well, Dave, uh, thank you so much for coming on and chatting, and uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to to my listen starting tomorrow. And actually, I'm not going to Tampa now. We end up having to cancel the trip, so I will be able to listen to it while walking after a to- after a one year old for who knows how many hours. Amazing, so. yeah. If there's one thing I know about one year olds, they're not at all demanding to look after. Never. They ne- they they just they're free spirited and they just sit there and do what they're yeah. supposed to. It's they so just, great. Yeah, they look after themselves completely, self sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> amazing have a wonderful time absolutely well uh well thanks again and we'll we'll chat again i'm sure uh, i know will. uh i know you're signed up for tbr con next year as well so we'll uh but we'll try to do something before then but otherwise good luck with the publication tomorrow thank and you. uh and yeah have a good weekend thank you you too thanks, you too Dave. everybody 